Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2. Actually, we're going to back up. If you, if you start at chapter 2, verse 1, we're going to back up a half verse and begin at the last half of verse 15 of chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, verse 15. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Yahshua, son of Yosadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Yahshua, son of Yosadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The title of this message today is When Things Don't Turn Out the Way You Hoped. Now, I want you to know something about uh, the title of this message and the, the text here from Haggai. Um, uh, I was, I've been planning for weeks to preach on this text and this title, when things don't turn out the way you hoped. Now, uh, I, I want you to know that because they in no way had anything to do with what happened to the Alabama Crimson Tide yesterday. Uh, Eric, where is Eric? I mean, uh, Eric, my, my good friend Eric here, this has nothing to do with that, brother. I promise you that. Uh, when things don't turn out uh, the way you'd hoped. You know what I found about life, though? I found that in, in the living of life, there are more times than we would like to count when we, we approach a certain situation with certain expectations only to find that those expectations don't always match up with what really happens. And we become dis disappointed with the way that uh, things turned out. That was what was happening when Haggai came on the scene. I want to show you a, uh, a slide that has a timeline on it because it gives you an idea of the history here. Now, Jesus was born sometime around the year 6 BC. 6 BC is about the time Jesus was born. Exactly 600 years before Jesus was born, you have the 
uh, southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel has been gone. Uh, they, they were invaded by Assyria in 722 B.C., so after 722, all you have is the southern kingdom of Judah with its capital in Jerusalem. But in 606 BC, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar swooped down into Judah and invaded Jerusalem. They took, at that time, they took the first of three groups and deported them from Judah to uh, Babylon, 800 miles to the east. That happened in 606 BC. Now, the Babylonians did not at that time destroy uh, Jerusalem, but they just invaded it. And they came back again 10 years later in 596, and they took the second of three groups and deported them to Babylon. And then they came back in 588 BC, and they besieged Jerusalem. They surrounded Jerusalem for two years, wouldn't let any food stuff come into Jerusalem for two years, would not let anybody who's in Jerusalem escape. So they basically starved the people of Jerusalem out from 588 to 586 BC. And in 586, they went into Jerusalem, which was already dilapidated because the people were too weak because they hadn't been able to eat. The Babylonians came into Jerusalem and destroyed the city, killed thousands of people. They destroyed the walls that surrounded the city. They, they destroyed Solomon's temple that uh, had stood for, uh, for over two centuries, and everything was left in rubble. Then the Babylonians took the best and the brightest people of, that were le who were left in Jerusalem and carried them to Babylon, 800 miles to the east, where they all remained in exile from there until about 536 B.C. In 539 B.C., the Persians invaded the Babylonians, and King Cyrus of Persia said this. He says, hey, we would, we would be better uh, served if we allowed the nations under our domain to have some limited freedom and some ability to make decisions for themselves. And so Cyrus, in 539, decided that he would start allowing the Jews to return to Judah with the instructions that they would rebuild the walls around Jerusalem and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. It was a great move on his part, very ingenious, because the people of, of, of uh, Judah and Jerusalem uh, loved the fact that he made that decision. But when, the, when these people left Persia, old Babylon, in 539, and they came back to Jerusalem, they got there around 536, and they were so disappointed at what they saw. They had heard about the destruction of Jerusalem, but they had, the, the pictures in their mind never actually did justice to what they, they found on the ground when they arrived back in Jerusalem. It was terrible. There was not one single stone left on top of another. There was no money. There was no manpower. And, and they... they were just overwhelmed with disappointment. It's not what they had hoped to find. And so they get to Jerusalem, and in 536, they start rebuilding the walls, and they start rebuilding the temple, but they get so discouraged that all they do is lay the foundation of the temple, and, and they rebuild the altar so they can actually make sacrifices. But outside of that, they stopped, and they didn't do anything 
for about 16 years. I mean, they were just numb. They were paralyzed with disappointment. And so in 520 BC, God sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to Jerusalem. And their message is very simple. You folks need to get up, get to work, and you need to finish the job. You need to finish the job. And so we have this book of Haggai that is uh, God's message to the people who have come back from Babylon and into Jerusalem. That's just an amen. I love, I love little kids. I love little kids. Iris, you just take that little, little one out. That's just an amen, and I love that so very much. I don't mind that baby crying at all. I promise you that. If you look back in chapter 1 as well as in chapter 2, you find several things that are very important. The first thing that you'll find in chapter 1 is what I call a prevalent refrain. And this is where you and I come into play. This is where this message becomes so applicable for us because uh, we too have the same refrain the same repeated sentiments sometimes that the people of Judah did. In, in verses 1 and 2, it says this, In the second year of King Darius, the first day, the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Yasadak, the high priest. And here's what he says. The people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. In other words, what they were saying is, Lord, we know that you've told us to build the house of, of the Lord, the temple. You've told us to build, rebuild the walls. We've come over here to do this, but we have decided that it's not time to do that. And we are putting you on a back burner and we are telling you, God, later. Have you ever had something that God, you felt God wanted you to do? Maybe it's, as, some, some, uh, it's uh, as common as just regular worship. And yet, when it comes time to worship, you say, you know, God, I'm going to put you on that back burner. There's some things that I want to do. Uh, and and on, on, a, on a day when I don't have anything else to do, then I'll do what you want me to do. But I'm going to put you on a back burner. And I'm going to do what I want to do first. These people in, uh, five, uh, in 520 B.C., they were in a position where they were saying, God, we're going to put you off a little bit. And there were several reasons, really some good reasons, why they wanted to put God off. For one thing, they were having a difficult time. The economy was bad. Uh, things looked bad. Uh, they, they, were, they were small in number. They were having a really, really hard time. And so because they were having a difficult time, they said, we're going to put you off. Sometimes we, we, we go through difficult times. We say, God, if, if I ever get through, when I ever get through this difficult time in my life, then I'm going to start doing what you want me to do. There were other reasons. There were some things that were just more important to them. Verse 4 says this, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? In other words, the people were saying, look, we have homes to build, we have children to educate, we have businesses to establish. These are, and we would say today, these are legitimate concerns. But they were saying, we're going to put ourselves first, and then when we get through, when we get to the place where we need to be, then we'll do, God, what you want. Here's the problem with that. We never get to the place where we think we need to be. 
We'll start out and say, well, if once I get this done in my life, then I'll do what God wants. And we'll get this particular thing done. And then we'll say, well, that's, I want a little more. And we'll say, I want to do this in my life before I'll do this for God. And all of a sudden, God gets so pushed back that we never get around to doing what he wants us to do. There's this prevalent refrain that says, later, God. The second thing we find in chapter one is not only a prevalent refrain, but we find a, what I call a prophetic rebuttal. Verse three, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet, prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? While this house remains in ruin, in other words, Haggai stands up and he says, hey, you've been putting yourselves first. And granted, there are some legitimate concerns you have, your family, uh, your, your kids, uh, your, your, your well-being, your jobs, your home. Certainly those are legitimate concerns. But he says, you have continued in your own selfish ways that you have refused to put God front and center in your life. He stays on your back burner. He's never on the front eye of the stove. And so he says, you folks really need to get to work. You need to finish building this temple. You need to finish building these walls. You need to consider what you are doing in your life. And he goes on and he says this. He says, you should not be willing to do less for the Lord than you do for yourselves. Think about that. We should not be willing to do less for the Lord than we do for ourselves. He says, furthermore, in this rebuttal, consider the problems you are experiencing. Consider why certain things are happening to you. In verse number six, he says, you've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, listen to this. He who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. That is a sobering thought that there are times in my life where God has told me to do something and I've put God off because I want to do my own things. I want to fulfill my own selfish desires first. And in doing that, certain bad things happen to me. And I'm, I'm, and, and Haggai is saying, Hey, you ever wonder why those bad things sometimes happen? Some bad things happen because we have put God off and we tried to put our own selfish desires first. There was a prevalent refrain, a prophetic response. You need to get to work or a prophetic uh, rebuttal. And then there was a positive response. This is a good thing here in verse number uh, 12. Verse 12 says this, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Yahshua, son of Yasadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and obeyed the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. I want you to hear that verse again. Listen to this. This is amazing. It really is. I want to live in this verse right here. It says, Then Zerubbabel... Yahshua and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. The people actually listened to what Haggai said and they put what he said into practice. They obeyed the Lord. Why is that so amazing? 
You may have heard the story about the guy who was a deer hunter and uh, he was part of a deer club and he decided to take his family doctor and his preacher deer hunting. Now the family doctor and the preacher had never been deer hunting. And so this guy decides to take them. He finds them a deer stand and he makes sure that early one morning when they get to the deer camp, they, they go out and he puts each of them in a deer stand. He says, now I want you to wait. He says, he said, if the deer will come by, they'll come by at a certain time, probably right after sun up and, and, uh, but make sure that it's, it's a buck, not a doe and all this kind of stuff. And so they're up in their three different stands, but they can see each other from their stands. And sure enough, Long about 7.15, this huge buck comes out in the open, and all three of them shoot at the same time, and the deer falls. And the deer hunter, he says, uh, he, he, he gets the preacher and the, the doctor down, he says, now, I, I want y'all to stay right here, I'm going to go check out the deer, because all three of them were saying that they, were, that they had gotten the deer. That's just like men, isn't it? All three of us got it. And the deer hunter went out and he, he, he examined the deer and he says, well, I, I figured out which one of us got the deer. It was definitely the preacher. And the doctor says, how do you know that? And he says, well, because the bullet went in one ear and out the other. That had to be the preacher. <laughs> but this word of Haggai didn't go in in one ear and out the other. It went in one ear and went down in their hearts and it was planted there. There was a positive response. They got serious about what God was asking them to do. Now, folks, I want you to, want you to hear this. C.S. Lewis said this one time. This is such a great quote. I want you to get it. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. How important is your Christian faith? Is it important to you or is it just moderately important? Is it important to you or is it something that I'll do it if I don't have anything else to do. I'll, I'll do what God wants me to do if I don't have anything else to do on a certain given day. And so Haggai and Zechariah preach to the people. They start getting started with the temple and the walls again. They get them built. And all of a sudden, there's a new complaint that comes up. A complaint among God's people. Isn't that amazing that a complaint could, could develop in the middle of God's people? I know that just never happens, right? And so the complaint this time was, we see this temple and we're glad that it's, getting, that it's, get, it's, 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 it's going as planned. But some of us remember the old temple and this one's not even close to it. And so Haggai in chapter 2, verse 1 uh, or verse two, he, uh, in chapter two, verse two, he, re he repeats this complaint. He says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Now, Haggai is not complaining. He's repeating the complaint he's heard. So there's disappointment. Things didn't turn out as they hoped. This temple turned out to be nothing like the previous one. They were downhearted. And so what is the response that God gives these people through Haggai? Response to this disappointment is hope. Hope. Verse 4. But now, 
Be strong, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel is the uh, construction uh, engineer, declares the Lord. Be strong, Yahshua, son of Yasadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, do not fear. Verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I once more will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea, in the dry ground, I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory. Whose glory? God's glory. Verse eight, for the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I'll grant peace. How can you have hope when you're disappointed? How can you have hope When everything about you is just one chronic complaint, here's how. Here's how. You have to remember that God still has plans for you. The people were there in Jerusalem. They had gotten disheartened. They built the temple, but the temple wasn't anything like the previous one. And so they were downhearted again. They'd been downhearted for years. Now they're downhearted again. Haggai says, look, you need to realize that when you're disappointed, you cannot give up, give in, check out, because God is not through with you. And you say, well, how can you have hope? Well, it all boils down to purpose. What is the purpose of who we are and what we do. What is the purpose of this house in which we're worshiping? Verse five, my spirit remains among you, so do not fear. You know what's most important here? It's not, what's most important is not the brick and mortar or the high technology in the media or the beautiful slides or the great stage or the cushioned chairs. It's not the, the, the uh, brick and mortar on the outside or the sheetrock on the inside. It's not the acoustic panels on the inside that help us with the, that's, it, all of that is great. But let me tell you what is great about here and now and this place. It's that God is in this place and God. God is not through with you and he's not through with us and he wants to do a great work in you right at the point where you're thinking about giving up, where you're thinking about giving in, where you're thinking about checking out on God and the church and faith. Stay tuned because God is getting ready to do his greatest work in you. They rebuilt that temple and they worshiped in that temple and God's presence was there. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. Don't check out because God wants to do a work in you. Let's pray. Our Father, how amazing it is that you never give up on us And you never give up on your plans for us. How amazing it is, Lord, that when we are at our worst, you are still for us. You're still urging us on. You're still encouraging us. How how awesome it is, Lord, that when we feel like everything is lost, you're standing there saying, don't you give up. Don't you give in. Don't you check out because I'm still working on you. 
I'm still working on your family. I'm still working in this church. God, thank you for being the God who never gives up. What a great, great Savior and Lord you are. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.